Before we start, I just want to share some exciting news. Love Hurts is doing two live shows in New York City on July 13th and 14th. My guest on the 13th is Adam Wade, a 20-time Moth Story Slam winner whose recent album, Live at the Magnet Theater, made it to the top of the iTunes comedy charts. My guest on the 14th is Ophira Eisenberg, the host of NPR's Ask Me Another and author of the book Screw Everyone. You can find more information and a link to buy tickets at lovehurtspod.com. Hope to see you there. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. My guest today is Susan Kent. Susan is a writer and storyteller currently living in Berlin, Germany. I saw Susan tell a story while she was living in New York City and immediately knew she'd be perfect for the show. Today she tells a story of getting pregnant at 19 and trying to figure out what her options were while living in rural Georgia with her mom in the 90s. This is Susan's story. Hey, Susan. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. It's a real treat. Uh, what did you want to tell people about today? Well, uh, I was thinking about telling this story uh, about when I was a kid and I got pregnant at yeah. 19. And um, when I got pregnant, I graduated from high school. I had not gone to college because I'd had this fight with my mother over where I was going to go to school. Okay. She wanted me to go to the local community college, Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College. Okay. And I was like, I'm not going to the Cal College. There's no way. I'm going to George Tech. And I'd gotten in and I wanted to get as far away from my hometown as possible. And she was like, no, you're not going, you're not going that far. You can go to community college. And I was like, well, then I just won't go to college. So was it for her, was it like a money thing or was it just like, I want you close to home? I think it was a control thing. Yeah. Making sure she was very scared of her own life and didn't want to go out too big. And the fact that I was completely opposite of that and wanted to just get the fuck. Can I say that? Yeah. 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 yeah, I, I just wanted to get as far away from this little town as possible and was ready to go. And she was just like, no. Yeah. So it was very much like. I don't want you to kind of follow your dreams type thing or like yeah. I want you to just be close to me and not have this life that you're trying to follow type thing. Yeah, a little bit like it felt like jealousy. Okay. In a way, because I was brave enough and. Yeah, like there was probably part of her that didn't have that like need to get out and just wanted to be there. So there's that part of her that was like, oh, yeah, I don't want you to experience this because I'm yeah. too scared. Exactly. No, I yeah. think that's exactly what Years and years of therapy have told me that that's yeah you've gotten to that yeah you've gotten to that point I think that's it yeah and so instead I stay home and I get a job at Walmart and I'm just kind of living my life like I'm that kid who stays around after high school and is still going to all the same parties yeah like you see them at the parties and you're like wait this person didn't you graduated high school why are they still here yeah and um and at one of these parties that I went to during that time I slept with a guy. Um, just randomly and when I woke up the next morning I rolled over and I look at him and I was like oh my god I'm pregnant and I just knew it wait that it was that that quick <laughs> like woke up was like oh god oh god just like could feel it something crazy 
Yeah, it I wasn't just like it wasn't just that immediate reaction of like I'm 19 years old and I had like unprotected sex or something. Yeah, because that would be my reaction at that age of me just being like anxious and freaking out, being like I'm gonna get this girl pregnant. But yeah, you, it was like a deeper feeling than just oh yeah, the freaking and, out. And honestly, I was too drunk to even even remember whether we had used okay. protection. Oh, like, so it was so just, regardless of that, uh, you were just knows. like pregnant. Yeah, and this is 89. So I mean, AIDS is out. And I mean, and it's pretty serious, but it's still kind of like, well, if you're not gay, it's probably okay. Yeah, there was a certain, yeah, circumstances of things yeah. in the world. Yeah, which is crazy because I really should have been way more careful with it. I had a cousin <laughs> who died of AIDS that year. Actually. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Lessons. Yeah. And so, um, anyway, so I look at him and I was like, fuck, I'm pregnant. And, you know, I'm a little sensible, so... So I was like, all right, wait a month and see if you have your period. And then sure enough, I don't. And then it's like, oh, fuck. Okay. So I'm living in this tiny town in Georgia, and it's super conservative and all the churches and all the Christians. And so I don't want to go by a pregnancy test there. Yeah, and if like somebody sees you in town or something, yeah, like it'll get back exactly. to you. Exactly. Your... And I, sh- I shouldn't be having sex at all. I'm not married. Yeah. Period. Okay. So you that's know, like that's, that kind of that's the town that you're living not in. Not married. Yeah. And so what I do is I steal my grandmother's wedding ring <laughs> and I wear it to Tifton, which is, I live in Fitzgerald. Tifton's 30 miles away. And so I drive to Tifton and go to Kmart, buy the pregnancy test, and I take it in the Kmart bathroom. And sure enough, pregnant. So I was like, okay, well, now I have to deal with this. And my first thought, of course, I mean, of course, for me is abortion. Like, no, I'm 19. I'm hanging out at the clay pits and the orchard still every weekend. I don't need a baby. Like, this is not. Yeah, your life is very much in a place where it's not ready for a baby to be in it. Yeah. And I knew that even though I wasn't going to college then, like that was going to happen. I just was being defiant. Yeah. With yeah, my yeah. mom. Because I was like, I'm not going to this dumb school. And so I go back home and I'm like, all right, how do I get an abortion? And I don't have a car and I don't have any friends who I feel like I can trust to tell them even that I'm pregnant, much less that I also want to abort it because this is, you know, pro-life land. Yes. And I call a hotline in Atlanta and ask them what to do. And this woman starts going through my options. Well, you can have the baby and, you know, there are government programs and we can help you out. Or you can take carry it to term and then give it up for adoption. And I was like, all right, well, what about abortion? And she said, oh, honey, we're not allowed to talk to you about that. And so I was just like shot down. And so now I'm stuck. And I started praying a lot because uh, that's what you do there. And just like, Jesus, come on, you know better than yeah, which is funny because you're like going to God yeah. in this very like non, non-religious non thing that you're asking <laughs> mm-hmm. of him. Come on, God, kill this thing. Kill it. You know this is a terrible idea. And that doesn't work. And so it's like, it's after my third, my first trimester. So abortion's now off the table. And we go on a family vacation to Disney World where... I was very insistent about riding Space Mountain about seven times and oh, man. <laughs> Thunder Mountain Railroad seven times. You know, anything that had that pregnant lady, no symbol. I was like, get me on that ride. Like, maybe this will be the thing. 
Yeah, so you're still kind of like in denial, even though this thing is happening. There's still this part of you that's like, it could still not happen. Yeah, never give up hope. Oh, God. So I, you know, and I'm strapping the seatbelt over my stomach as hard as I can. And every time I get off a ride, I'd be like, am I bleeding yet? Nope. So that doesn't work either. And I finally just kind of give up and... I become this like floating head above my body because all these things are happening and I'm getting bigger and the baby starts kicking and, you know, it's just like, it's crazy. And you're like living at home at this point. Living at home with my mother. And she has like no awareness of what's happening. She doesn't seem to. She hasn't noticed that she hasn't bought tampons in months. She hasn't picked up on the fact that I've started gaining a lot of weight really rapidly. And I got pregnant in like, a full body way. It wasn't just like the cute little baby bump. Okay. It was, I got fat and it's the late eighties. So it was sweaters, big sweaters and stretch pants. And so I'm just kind of living, hiding it, but almost not even paying attention to it because I just can't handle it. Yeah. So you're still sort of denying this thing that it's happening, even though it's very much like happening. Yeah. Cause it's like, well, I, I don't know what to do, so I'm just not going to do anything, and we'll just yeah. See I'm going to pretend that I'm still okay, and that this yeah. isn't a thing that I have to deal I'm with. Just fat now, yeah. Just fat, and I also through another like I didn't work at Walmart anymore, and I hadn't gotten a new job, and so I just kind of stayed at home a lot, and became this really nesty kind of nurturing creature i started baking all the time and i was cleaning the house and my mom was kind of like into it because she's like well at least you're doing this yeah so you also had these weird maternal things that were happening in you even though you were like ignoring yeah because that was not me at all like i wasn't one so the way you like got out of your head about this happening was just doing a lot of very motherly things yeah it's funny that now when i think about it in my life these days when i'm in a period of great stress or panic over something, I start cleaning. Yeah. Well, I also feel like that's a good... I do that just because it takes your mind off of things, yeah. right? It's like, I could just really focus on this know, stupid... Scrub this yeah, thing. exactly. Scrubbing's yeah. a good... Scrubbing is... Mindless activity. The best. Yeah, so, um, you know, months pass, and I am helping my mom move her best friend into a new apartment, and we're moving furniture in, and I'm carrying a twin mattress on my back, and, and how pregnant are you at this uh, point? Nine months. Oh, I'm, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just everything. My whole life is pretending I'm not pregnant. I'm just trying not to show anything. Like there was one night when my mom and I were driving and I was driving and she laid down and put her head in my lap. Oh, my God. And the whole time I was just like trying to hold my stomach in because the baby was a big kicker at that point. And I was just like, this is not the way for my mother to find out that. I'm pregnant is by this baby kicking her in the head like that. Yeah. You know, so it was those kinds of things that are happening where I'm handling those moments, but on the grand scale, I have no plan. I don't know. Yes. Except for I do know I'm going to give the baby up for adoption. Okay. Absolutely not going to keep this baby. Like, I'm sorry that I've brought you into the world. This is going to be tough, but it is going to be way tougher if you stay with me. Yeah, like you just don't have the ability to kind of handle this at this yeah, point in life. Yeah, I'm not ready life. to raise a human being, you know? Yeah. And so I'm moving this mattress and I feel this like cramp. And I was like, oh, I have cramps. Still not connected to what's happening. And I get home and a few hours later, 
I'm like, it's hitting so hard and it's these contractions. And my mom catches me in the kitchen because I'm on the phone and I'm laid over the kitchen counter, just like in so much pain. And she was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I've just got cramps. And she's like, oh, okay, do you want a Vicodin? <laughs> I was like, yeah, <laughs> that sounds great. I'll take a Vicodin. And so I do. And I went to bed because I'm still like, I don't know how to tell her. Like I am having a baby. Yeah, like there, there's this part of you that like literally could just like wake up in the morning with a baby yeah. the, in your bed. Like, yeah, or be one of those toilet babies. That, yeah, you know, yeah, like that just like happened. Yeah, which almost happened actually. So I'm laying in bed for I don't know. It felt like hours because the contractions are coming and it's all happening and and I'm still just like, how do I tell her? What do I do? What? And I don't like get up. Like it's come, you know, but I can't. And then I have to go to the bathroom. And when I do, it's just like this gush of blood just and then, then that was the like okay now it's time yeah oh, I'm like, i have to up. deal with the reality of this now uh hey mom you gotta wake up i'm having a baby and she's like you're not having a baby you just have cramps it's like i well okay i know that's what i said but actually i've been pregnant for nine months and i'm having a baby and it's right now and i am covered in blood and we need to go to the hospital and she doesn't believe me and so she makes me go back to her bedroom and show her and I was like whatever it takes just look what what do you need and she sees something that convinces her and she's like oh my god and I was like yes like a head coming out yes something like crowning I don't know because it has been so long that I've been there and so she's like oh my god we have to go and I was like great (laughs) so we grab some stuff and we head to the car and on the way she's just like what happened whose is this what and I was just like do you think maybe let's just you can scream at me later, like, please just get me to the hospital. And we get in the car, and she's like, oh, my God, we don't have any gas. I was like, we don't need the hospital. It's Fitzgerald, Georgia. The hospital's a mile away. Everything's a mile away. I was like, we can get to the worst case, we walk. Like, just get us closer. And she's like, we can't, can't, we can't go to this hospital. And I was like, what? And she's like, no, people will find out. And so instead of the hospital, we go to the gas station. And she's, I'm like in the passenger seat with my feet up on the dashboard. I've got blood everywhere. I'm like dying, so much pain. And she's just pumping gas, you know, like, okay. <laughs> and then we, she pays, you know, this is in, she has to go inside, give the money, come back out. Then we finally take off and we go fly into Tifton, the, where I got yeah, the- Yeah, back to the pregnancy test. Uh-huh. And go to the hospital there. And as we were coming in- I told the doctor, I don't want to see the baby. I'm going to give it up for adoption. He was like, cool. Takes me in. I have a baby. Um, I hear it cry. And I see this nurse like grab a bundle and just run out the door. And the next morning, uh, I have a meeting with the doctor and my mom. And they want to talk to me about the adoption, right? And so... The doctor's asking me questions about who the father is. Now, this father, the actual father, was a random guy I met at a party yeah. in Florida, actually. So I knew nothing. He was a sailor. His name was Chico. This is all I know about this guy. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Uh, and I knew that was not going to go over well if I said, oh, it was a one-night stand at a keg party. So I told my mom that it was this boyfriend who I'd had around that same time when I got pregnant. And so the doctor's like, okay, well, we need to notify him. 
And I was like, that he and I never had sex. So we can't go that route. That's just going to be more disaster. Uh, I also had a boyfriend around that same time who had committed suicide. And so I offered him. I was like, what if we just say it was his? And the doctor said we'd have to notify his parents, which, of course, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So I finally was like, oh, I don't know. What if I just say I don't know? And the doctor was like, oh, finally. Yeah, like, exactly I've been trying to get God, you to say Just this like, for come minutes. on, kid, come on. <laughs> and, you know, and it's like this admission of me sleeping around with enough people that I don't know who I've gotten pregnant with. And we're going to put this in my record. And again, it's South Georgia and it's all this shame. And my mother has just driven me 30 miles. Yeah. Like at that point, how do you have any sense of how your mother is like feeling? I mean, I guess... Did you talk like did you talk in depth about this at any point no. after the fact? No, we never talked about really? it. Really? Yeah. That was the like I remember her coming into my room um after we had had this meeting and she had bought this precious moments doll that they were really popular. Yeah, those little like figurines. With those big droopy yeah, yeah, yeah. like sweet eyes. And so she bought me this angel that I'd been wanting for a long time and there was a card that said, No matter what you do, I'll always love you. And she talked to me about keeping the baby, said that if I wanted it, you know, we could figure it out. And I was like, oh, absolutely not. Because this, I didn't really get along with my mother and she wasn't the most nurturing, loving person. And I was like, I'm not bringing another child under your care. Yeah. Like there, there's that part of you where when you hear her going, like, I can help you with this, that you're like, I don't want your help. Right. Because I've just spent nine months in her house pregnant. I'm her daughter. I see her every day. Yeah, and she, she has not nothing. noticed. Yeah, so she's probably not the most like right. on top of nurturing no. mother. I could sense a little bit. It was not really her skill set. She had, yeah. she was talented in other ways, but that one not so much. And so I just was like, no, I don't. I don't want to keep the baby. I want it to get to the parents as soon as possible. Um, and in that meeting with the doctor, he said that he knew a couple who had been looking for a baby. And I was like, great, call them up. Yeah, like ready to go. Perfect. Get it over there. Because, you know, that early bonding. And yes, I was yeah, very yeah, yeah. concerned about that. Um, and so a couple hours after that meeting, I had a secretary walk into my room and hand me a pack of papers that said, you know, Susan Kent gives up all rights to a baby girl. And then that's when it became like a, yeah, it was a real. Ugh, it was a real that moment. Yeah, I'd been so and, stoic about it the whole time. Yeah, because it feels like this thing that you were like, I, even when it was happening, it was almost like just like a task versus yeah. like this very intimate moment in your life. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was my, you know, my protection kicking in. Yeah, where I'm self-preserving by just completely detaching from what's happening. Yeah, because it feels like. Because you know that you can't deal with this, you don't want to have that emotional thing that could pull you. Yeah, it just it feels like you're just trying to protect oh, it would be everybody, so easy, right? Like, right? Like you see a baby that's your baby. Like I can't imagine. Yeah. Did you have that moment, whether it was like seeing the girl or whatever, that you did want to see it? Like even though you knew, I never wanted to go. You know, because like the nursery is just down the yeah, hall. Yeah. And as you can probably imagine, Tifton Hospital is not huge. 
And my mom said that she had gone to look. Yeah. And, but she had decided that it was a boy. So she looked at all the boys. Okay. Uh, yeah, because she had been looking before we got the paperwork. Okay. And found out it was a girl. Yeah. So it was like, it was just a tough moment for you because you knew mm-hmm. there was this very, the part of you that was and a girl, down the hall. And a girl, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And it was so, that was devastating. And then we got home that day, I guess. And I've gone home with all these things. Like we had to go to the pharmacy because they give you pills to dry your milk up. And they, I've had an episiotomy. So I have all these stitches and all these like pads and iodine baths and all this stuff that I have to go home to. And I remember just thinking like, this is what I get out of all of this. Like, yeah, you have to like deal with the aftermath of it all. And I'm just, you know, broken and alone. And I was sitting next to my mom. She was sleeping in bed. And I was sitting by her bed watching TV in her room. And this diaper commercial came on. And I just lost it. I was just crying. And it hurt so much. And she woke up. And she looked at me. And she was like, hey. And I was like, oh, it's okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And she was like, what? Because she hadn't even noticed that I was crying. Oh, she just had woken up and... Rolled over. It was just like, oh, what are you doing? You know? And I'm like sobbing. And she doesn't even notice. Wow. Yeah. It was an intense... She was tough. Yeah, because that's... uh, Jeez. Because it's like that's sort of the moment you needed her. Yeah. Oh, that would have been the best. Yeah. Yeah. Get up here. Like, cuddle me and tell me it's going to be okay. Yeah, because it's a real low moment for you right you're yeah. just you're dealing with everything and i'm sure i had some postpartum depression like yeah right? exactly like, like you have multiple things that you're trying to deal with I'm just had your a body baby. yeah your I body had to tell is my like, mother i had to <laughs> we're flying through the woods yeah, so where i like, think oh my god are we gonna make it you know yeah because what 48 hours ago your mom didn't even know you were pregnant yes exactly and now we've had the baby we've signed adoption papers yeah where it's like your mom is kind of in a position where she's ready to just go on as if you weren't ever pregnant again yeah which i mean that's southern i guess but also like i feel like it's a little extra with her like yeah she like (laughs) she yeah she leaned into it a bit yeah exactly perfect yeah 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 and we didn't i don't remember ever talking about it again until so I had just, I turned 20, like 10 days before this baby was born. Okay. I was about 30 and I called my mom to tell her that I was dating women. And she says, well, I thought that if you were gay, you were always gay and judging by your past. And wow. That, yeah. So that's the first time. So the way it came up, up was like, as like a barb. Uh-huh. Yep. Oh, that's funny. Her name is Barb. Uh, that's perfect that's i never made that connection that's perfect yeah yeah and it was just like oh fuck you god you're terrible yeah i mean what yeah because it's just like Uh. again another moment that you're kind of looking for support because you're opening up to your mom and just not getting it. your mom it's right is like everybody else's mom is really nice yeah well i guess it's like (laughs) not everybody but like I, i feel like there's there's been that generational thing now of like coming out to your parents and it being different times, right? Like I yeah. feel like that's a thing that people are dealing with, but you want to hope at the end of the day that like 
your parent is going to support you type thing, right? Yeah, for sure. And she had always, she was the one in town who had the gay friends and was always so open until it was in her house. Yeah. But even when I was younger, because I was such a tomboy, um, she was like, you know, if one of my daughters was gay, I would be okay with it. And I knew she was talking to me. And then she was like, you know, that Ellen, she's really funny. And like, I would be okay if you ended up with Ellen, maybe. And I was like, it's going to be Whoopi Goldberg, Mom. Just know <laughs> if I end up being a lesbian. Shooting yeah. for the stars. I'm going all the way. <laughs> and so I was really surprised by, I guess I wasn't so surprised by her reaction when I told her I was gay because that was how my mother was. Like, yeah. super unpredictable. And what her rules were for the rest of the world were completely different than what she had at home. It's. It, I mean, it seems like there was an element of her that just had these almost like unfair expectations for you, right? Like that you could never live up to. Yeah. One time I was talking to my therapist and I looked up sociopath in the DSM-4 and there are like seven criteria. And if you meet three of them, then you could be okay. diagnosed. My mom was all seven. Wow. Yeah. So it was like, whoa. And... My therapist gave me a book. She's like, The Sociopath Next Door. I think you should read it. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, just very much helping you kind of like take this head on and just be like, hey, it's not you. No, she was fucked up. Yeah. And it wasn't even her fault. Like, she just didn't have the capacity. Yeah. Yeah, like you can't, at the end of the day, you're not faulting her because it's this thing she was dealing with. Yeah. Even though it seemed like, had to have been tough for you over the years yeah you know you want a nurturing mother and when she died a few years ago and at the end of her life well that was the second time she brought up the baby she's dying i've walked into the house i've just gotten there and the first thing she says to me is what are you doing here she and i had been estranged for a couple years at that point and i was like i'm i came to watch you die (laughs) you know and she And I were having this conversation and just, you know, working through stuff. And she's like, you know, I know where the baby is. I was like, oh, do you? She's like, yeah, Moultrie. I was like, okay. And then she just changed the subject. Wow. Yeah. I was like, you're such a dick. Would she have, like, been able to look that up or whatever? Or was that just like... Well, actually, yeah, she worked for legal attorneys. Oh. Yeah, so so she she had... had access so you think that she actually knew everything, like she had like tracked this all down and done Absolutely. this, but not told you. Right. But had like been tracking this child's life. and Wow. Yeah. And then was like, and I know, and now I'm going to die. Goodbye. Wow. Yeah. She was intense. <laughs> yeah, it sounds very intense. Yeah. When she told you, did you like ever be like, I want to try to find this girl? Or were you just kind of like, no, I, I've i always had this sense that I made my choice. Yeah. You know, so it's not really my place to step into her life. I left my records open in case, you know, she yeah. ever tried to find me. I've always meant to call back to the hospital and tell them, you know, like, hey, by the way, I gave this baby up for adoption in 1990. And, you know, I just want to make sure that if this child ever wants to find who I am that she could do that. Um, But the more I tell this story, because I've done it on 
different live shows and different podcasts and stuff. And, um, a lot of people have encouraged me to reach out. And actually I did a show recently where a guy was like, do you think that, um, like, would you be upset if I looked for her? And I was like, I can't control what you do. Wow. Yeah. So you just have some like random. So there may be somebody out there just looking tracking for her. her down now. Yeah. And if God let her be smart and, you know, liberal and because who knows? She grew up in South yeah, Georgia with the world that some parents who I don't know. And you want to hope it's not your mom that was bringing or somebody like your mom that was yeah bringing her up. And exactly. Or somebody who, you know, the Trump supporters or the. Yes. Yeah. KKK. Because that's there's a real lot, down there's there. There's a lot down there that. A lot of the reasons she, I left. Yes. That like you want to make sure she kind of got out of all of that being oh my god yeah somewhat okay and that's my biggest fear is that she ended up in some place that she's miserable and that i always also imagine like one day if she finds me like i used to be afraid that i'd end up on the jerry springer show or one of those like maury things yeah 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 you know like ugh. Any minute, there's going to be a phone call, and it's going to be a disaster. But I just want her to be proud. Like, if she meets me, to not be like, oh, this is who you are. Because yeah, I'm sure there are fantasies. and Yeah, because it's, it's something that, like, you're, you've obviously thought about a little bit since you're talking about it right now, where it's like, yeah, she probably has that same thing of, like, what, what the perceptions of you are as, like, does she understand that you were just this, like, scared child who didn't have... Yeah, it's like a good option to bring her up in and you were just trying to do what was best for her, right? Exactly. And it's like you want her to understand that. Yeah. And, and not like hold it against you or something like that. That yeah. for sure. And also like I, if we meet, I want her to think I'm cool. You know? I feel, like, I mean, but I feel like you're pretty cool, you know? Thank and, you. Like assuming, yeah, I guess it's like that's the difference, right? Going back to like the growing up in very South, like depending on what her values are, I guess in a certain respect, right? you could be like a, a lot. freak show. Yeah, I've got tattoos. <laughs> I dated a woman for 13 years, you know, like <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that could be displeasing to her. Yeah, depending on how her values and all that stuff are. Yeah. But you want to hope that she has similar values to you and... And yeah. gets you, which I feel like, yeah. Are you at a point now where you feel, because you keep, not, you keep bringing it up, but it's like you've told the story recently and you have a random guy potentially tracking her down. Does it feel like this thing that <laughs> is going to, it becoming more inevitable? Yeah. It feels, you know, like, uh, this was my first moth story. Um, it was actually the first story I ever told. Okay. As a storyteller. Yeah. And then I told it in the moth and it got on the podcast. And so it cycles around every once in a while. Oh, I'll okay. get phone calls like, hey, I think I just heard you on the radio. Again, like if she's a liberal and yeah, she listens yeah, to she's NPR. Yeah, she's like listening to the local NPR station in Georgia driving around one me, day. So she could like literally be listening to her mom telling the story about not, her. And not know. Yeah. How crazy is well, that? Well, that's the other thing. It's like. Her parent could her parents just never even said anything. For you know sure. what I mean? It's like she could just be living this world where she doesn't even know that this is. And she's living with these redneck parents, and is like, I don't understand. I'm nothing yeah, like I them. Yeah, don't, I don't fit in. I don't get it. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, that's also my childhood. I'm sorry I put you through that. Yeah, like I wasn't adopted, and I still and still I still felt had this very happening. out of place. 
Yeah. So who knows? You know. Yeah. She'll be 28 this year. Yeah, I was going to say I was born in 1989. So yeah. she's, yeah, it's like, I feel like she's at that age where she's like an adult now, right? Where it's like you can handle this stuff a little more if she's dealing, I don't know. Yeah, it's like. And it's probably more thoughtful about stuff and yes, introspective. Yeah. Like and understands the, the bigger world. picture of it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, I feel like that timing would be good. <laughs> Her older and not, I don't know, like, was she an angry teenager or. Would she have? Yeah, like how much of her life paralleled your life for those young, younger ages? Yeah. Yeah. And like, what's her name? Yeah. You know? What kind of stuff does she like? What music is she into? Does she like 90s hip hop? Because this is very important. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most important That's, thing. I need to know how she feels about Tribe Called Quest <laughs> and whether she even knows they exist. And if she doesn't, then she needs to know. You know, like. I don't know. I do. I get encouraged by a lot of people to try to find her myself. And actually, after the story aired on The Moth the first time, I got contacted by somebody who was 60. And she said that until she heard my story on The Moth, which I ended with, kind of wrapped it up with, you know, I don't know how the story is going to end because I feel like I can't reach out. Maybe one day she'll find me. And this woman said that she had never considered that her mother might feel that way. She always thought, well, she abandoned me and she didn't want me. So yeah, she didn't come look for me because of that. And so when she heard me, she said that it inspired her to find her mother. And she did. And her mother was like 90. Wow. And married and hadn't been married for 30 years and the husband didn't know that she had had a baby yeah Yeah. and so she reached out and she found her and she's like and i'm on my way to meet her for the first time and thank you and so i was just like okay well there's that that feels really good you know and so i hope that i mean that feels like all right well that's a good thing that came of me telling this story. And even if this daughter doesn't ever find me, like, yeah, you're, there's still something positive coming out of yeah everything happening. Yeah. And it feels like it, you saying it's the first story you've ever kind of told publicly. It kind of, it for you has this weight, but it also was this part of your life that led to this new part of your life that you oh, yeah. very much have done a lot in the past however many Such years, right? Such a huge part. Yeah, I was terrified the first time. I didn't want to do a story. I never wanted to be a storyteller. My friend started a show. I was like, we need people to come tell a story. Just suck it up and come. It's going to be four of us in a bar. Just come. I know yeah. you write all the time. And I was like, all right, fine. And that's the funny thing, too. Where it's like at that point, right, you have no experience doing this, but you just kind of have this thing in the back of your pocket that's like, I, I like, have this big thing that I, I got throw a story, out dog. Yeah, like. If you want a story, I have a story. And that's just kind of my personality, too. Like, if I'm going to do the thing, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. That's, I'm yeah, sad. I'm going to give you the biggest story first. Yeah. Here's everything. Not? Yeah. <laughs> I'll just go out there. We'll figure it out from there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for telling it again here. Yeah. Thank um, you for having me. Yeah, of course. If people want to, like, find out about stuff you got going on, I know you're moving yeah that's what's going on i'm moving to berlin in 
two and a half weeks. Yeah, I guess you'll literally already be there when this episode comes out. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, are, are, do you have like a website or anything if people want to? Uh, SouthernDiscomforts.com. Okay. Yeah. SouthernDiscomforts.com. <laughs> cool. And I'll... I don't put a lot of stuff on it, but it's there. Yeah. And then I'm on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Susan. Thank you very much. It's a delight. Awesome. This is how we love. This is how we fight for something that's right. Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Mallon. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Instagram and Twitter at lovehurtspod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin, and this is Love Hurts.